You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us. Cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, Annie Mitchell. Father Hezekiah, it is good to see you. It's such a blessing to be here with you today on this, oh no, 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time, otherwise known as the, where are we at, the third Sunday, depends on how you count it, third Sunday after Holy Cross in the traditional counting, give or take a Sunday because I didn't actually check, but here, I think you're 20, right, yeah. that's good, we've got some passages here. From Isaiah, as well as the Gospel of Matthew. So why don't we go ahead and share those with the people? You bet. All right. The first reading is from Isaiah, as Father was just saying, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. The responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 80. The Gospel this weekend is Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 43. And the epistle is St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Well, there we have it. We're going right into Isaiah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Get out your hoe and your pruning shears. Oh, you brought, you brought props. Nice. Well, I didn't really bring props. I just had this happen to be stuck. because. Are you serious? That just happened to be on your desk? Well, of course. I'm a priest. I was just Explain. using these on Sunday. Four. Uh, I was trimming uh, some branches of, I guess I was using flowers on Sunday because we I baptized a family into the church. Nice. And I always decorate the baptismal font on the floor around it, the baptismal font, because of what we're going to be talking about today. Cool. Yeah. Ooh, how's so in my that old life, these? for those that don't know, I used to own a landscaping business and a nursery. I used to build waterfalls and koi ponds, you know, Japanese carp, and and, uh, and I my nursery was a water garden nursery, so I grew water lilies and cattails and irises and all sorts of things that were planted in the water. Wow. Yeah. So I love gardening, and here we are. We're going to step in the vineyard of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 5, and we're going to be doing it singing. All right. <laughs> chapter, are you going to sing this for us, Annie? Chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, let... Me now sing, sing of, my of my friend. Yeah. Sing, let it, um, sing. Go ahead, Annie. You really want me to? I don't have a, I don't see. This is where you need my husband who actually knows like the chant tones. Yes. And can like do them consistently. All right. We won't, we won't make you, you won't make me do it. Thank you. Go ahead. Isaiah chapter five, starting with verse one. Here we are. Here we are. Sing to the Lord. All go. Right. Let me now sing of my friend, my friend's song concerning his vineyard my friend had a vineyard on a fertile hillside he spaded it cleared it of stones and planted the choices vines within it he built a watchtower and hewed out a wine press then he looked for the crop of grapes but what it yielded was wild grapes now inhabitants of jerusalem and people of judah judge between me and my vineyard what more was there to do for my vineyard that I had not done? Why, when I looked for the crop of grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? Now I will let you know what I mean to do with my vineyard. Take away its hedge, give it to grazing, break through its wall, let it be trampled. Yes, I will make it a ruin. It shall not be pruned or hoed, but overgrown with thorns and briars. I will command the clouds not to send rain upon it. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, 
and the people of Judah are his cherished plant. He looked for judgment, but see bloodshed, for justice, but hark the outcry. I guess this would be a sad song. <laughs> that well, it, it, starts, it, starts, it starts in a lovely way and doesn't end so lovely. And then it gets so depressing yes. at the end. Okay, so this is obviously we're in chapter five of Isaiah, so really yeah. early on in the book. So I'm assuming this is pre-Babylonian exile, am I right? Yes. Well, that was actually a question. I says, oh, yeah, look, we're at chapter five. This is early on in the prophecy. So where exactly can we understand this, these words and who, you know, who is being spoken to? So let's take a look in our common practice as we go to chapter one, verse one of the prophet. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah and Jotham, Ahaz, the righteous, sinless King Hezekiah, and kings of Judah. Okay? Uh, sorry, I edited that slightly. But uh, <laughs> there you are, Uzziah. So where where do we pick up Uzziah? No, Annie, without even, we did not prepare this. I'm putting Annie the test. On the internationally uh, published oh, Sunday Gospel no. Reflections this in the History of Catholic so Culture. What book are you going to go to to find Uzziah? Just throw it out there. Come on, throw it out there. Second Kings. There we are. Second Kings. Okay, she, good. She, I knew she'd get it right. Second Kings. Why Second Kings? Because we're talking about this. Uh, that's uh, first of all, it's it's the prophets coming now. The things are getting bad, so we're kind of getting on right first. First Kings and then Second Kings. If you turn to, if you turn to, well, you don't have to turn there. First Kings, chapter ten and eleven is the breakdown with Solomon, right, and the and oh, the right. dividing yeah. of the kingdoms. So now it's really at that point that you really the prophets come into play. Okay, mm -hmm. but now we're along the kings list a little ways, right? Because Hezekiah is not that far. He's he's alive. Not you know, the Assyrians march in Jerusalem because they conquered the north. And right. so, and when Hezekiah is alive, so now, but but in Isaiah one one, he's Hezekiah is at the end of his list. So we can go back to Uzziah. So you're going to come back from that. So we're going to turn up to Second Kings chapter fifteen to pick up Uzziah, chapter fifteen, verse thirteen. Now, and we could just blanket statement paint the whole time period as going to hell in a handbasket. Right? There's the people of God are not faithful to the Lord. And here in, in, in chapter 15, verse 13, Shalom, the son of Jabesh, began to reign in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah. And he reigned one month in Samaria. Well, Samaria is the throne city of the north. This is after the dividing of the kingdoms. If you're new to the ICC, if you're new to Sunday Gospel Reflections, you're like, I don't know this time period. We'll just stick with us for about two to three weeks because every week we do the same thing, which is go, we come go back, back to, to the Babylonian line. exile, right? Yeah. So the kingdom is divided already after that first Kings chapter 11 with Solomon. Mm -hmm. And then now things have gone bad. The north has, has the city of Samaria as their throne city. The Assyrians come down. And this is when Uzziah is alive. If you take a look at chapter 15, verse 29... In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Ejon and these other cities, and, and he carried the people captive to Assyria. So there it is. There's the fall of the north to Assyria, and Uzziah is alive just before that, which means Isaiah, our prophet, is alive just before we're early in Isaiah. Right, mm -hmm. so he's living his first part of his prophecy is going to deal with the this just a hell is breaking loose, right? And Assyria mm -hmm. is going to during his lifetime is going to march down on Jerusalem also. So Isaiah himself is not going to see necessarily the fall of Jerusalem, but he is going to see the fall of the north, which he just points by his look, guys. <laughs> you see what happened just there? Way, Same yeah. thing's going to happen to you because you're a bunch of godless heathens. And why are they a bunch of godless heathens? Because in Isaiah chapter 5, there it is, right? There's the story. So, Annie, there's your background. There's your context of what's going on in the time of Isaiah right here with the marching down of, of Assyria, with the conquering of the north and the and the 
situation and Isaiah turns to Judah and the, and the rulers of Judah and says, how have you been taking care of the vineyard of the Lord? Yeah. Um, what is it with God and vineyards? I mean, like, it seems like we, we hear this vineyard imagery pop up quite a bit. I mean, obviously I'm thinking of the past few weeks too, with the gospel, but um, I mean, like, what is the significance of using a vineyard as a metaphor for the house of Israel? Yeah. Okay. It's a good question. I mean, it's obvious and you know the answer to that, but I think it, 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 we do well to always recall that the the best context we can be in when we're reading the scriptures is not the context of the Babylonian exile, but the context of the Garden of Eden. Yes. It's it's like I always say, I always say that uh you have to be theocentric in your in your in your theology, right? God-centered. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, when it comes to scriptures, we ought to be Edenic centric. Mm. Yeah. I used to love to talk about the Edenic paradigm. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the structure, the context, it's the the interpretive tool by which we can see not only what's going on in the Babylon exile and Jesus is doing and back and forth like that. That's kind of down in the weeds a little bit where we tend to be in yeah. when we're trying to get our historical context for all of our participants. But really, we don't talk enough about because of that's what we're doing, right? Our goals at Sunday Gospel Reflection are very practical. We want to give you the tools to understand what's going on on the ground in the situation we're reading, right? We're always in the the weeds kind of with Sunday Gospel Reflection because we're trying to give you the practicals of what's going on on the ground so that your your priest can come and give a homily. When he's giving his homily, he should be doing, you should be well-prepared to be able then to rise up and see the bigger picture, right? Um, and that bigger picture is the Garden of Eden, yeah? Um, and and the, the, um, the it's the interpretive tool by which we can see the whole of salvation history, not only what's going on in the life of Isaiah or what Jesus is talking about during his ministry, but it's the whole movement from what I would say is Eden to Eden, yeah? Which we, we get very beautifully the way our Bible's laid out because from the from chapter one of Genesis to the last chapter of the book of Revelation, it's 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 the garden on both sides, right? right. It's it's that the bookends, right? By which we interpret the whole of the book. So you want to go back and listen to my talk at the ICC called "The Garden, the Temple, and the Church," is what I would recommend for you, which I spend a substantial amount of time talking about reading the scriptures in this way. So to your question, though, Annie, regarding the vineyard. This image is used, the vineyard is used, as well as other agricultural images, because God is the creator of this world, and he uses that which the people are seeing around them to help them understand themselves, yeah? So the garden is more than a physical garden. I'm not saying the Garden of Eden wasn't a physical garden. In fact, I do believe it was a physical garden, and I do believe the tree of life was a physical tree. And so, so did St. Thomas Aquinas, by the way, and all the other church fathers, and uh, it's the great saints. So I think I'm in a good company there. But it's more than a physical reality. It's a spiritual reality. It's a manifestation of something more, right? And in this way, well, I could say this, the tree of life, which they were to eat and live forever, was to communicate divine life to them. So that the, the bringing together, we can't be dualists, separating the material and the spiritual, bringing them together in a real way. The garden, I should say, for so we're all on the same page, the Jews believed that the Holy Land was the original location of the Garden of Eden. Okay, mm-hmm. This is why you can flip your Bibles back with me to the book of Genesis, to the story of, of Abraham and Lot in chapter 13. This is before Lot gets captured. But in chapter 13, verse 10, and Lot lifted up his eyes. Are you with me there, Annie? Yep. Yeah. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we have this throughout salvation history, this understanding that God's people are meant to live in the garden. It's the land that flows with milk and honey. And where whenever God's people draw close to the Lord, the garden begins to sparkle again, if you will, starts to grow again. We start to see aspects of it throughout salvation history in which 
the garden becomes mystical again. It begins life bearing again. And God's people then come and dwell in that garden with the Lord. And so now as dwelling in that garden, the Lord says, look around you. You see what I've created? Well, this is this is a, 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 a way for you to come to know the Lord, right? Romans chapter one says we're to come to know the Lord by his created order. And so now Israel, God's people are compared to this place where they're supposed to live like a garden. Yeah. And they're supposed to do what this garden does. They're supposed to be life bearing. They're supposed to be fruitful. And they're supposed to do all the things that the Garden of Eden was originally supposed to do because the people themselves are ultimately the garden. And now let me just Catholics do a little fun thing with you and St. Paul. And this, this is why the temple in Jerusalem becomes a, an image of the church, right? Because God doesn't dwell in dead things. He lives, dwells in living things. So the stone temple is a symbol of the church. We are now living stones, as St. Peter says in his epistle. Or in the terms of Isaiah, we are, or in terms of Jesus in John chapter 15, we are part of the vineyard. We're part of the garden, yeah, that bears fruit. And what kind of fruit does it bear? It bears life-giving fruit because that's what it was supposed to do in the beginning. The garden was divinized. It was filled with divine life so that they would eat from the tree of life and live forever. Okay. Grapes, this is my final point. Grapes are often used, and this is the vineyard itself versus a vegetable garden, if you will. Right, right. The grapes are oftentimes used, what's that? Or a flower garden. Or a flower garden. But grapes are oftentimes used as our pomegranates, as our figs. I wish I had a, I should have grabbed a pomegranate. You open up a pomegranate, and what's it look like inside? We're going to pull it up on screen right here. I cut up pomegranate in half, and you see it filled with seeds right? Mm -hmm. Or grapevine is filled with seeds, at least in its wild and it's, you know, it's natural state. Mm -hmm. Um, I just picked a grape from a grapevine this morning that was growing next to my house because it's all, it's the fall season and they're they're all just like filled and they're deep red. Like my kids are eating them like crazy. But they grow, they're growing wild, not in a wild sense here in Isaiah, but they're growing wild, you know, uh, in here yeah. in Sacramento, filled with seeds. You you take it, you suck the little bit of fruit off the edges, and it's, the seed is there. That's the its purpose, right? So the fig is the same way. It's filled with seeds. It's filled with life. And this is the image which God wants to have his people understand their own ministry, as we should be, right? We should be looking around creation, seeing how God has planted creation and made it grow and be beautiful, and then ask ourselves, what part am I in this, yeah. uh, in this created order, right? And we're going to get to that a little bit in, in the gospel, but that's my, yeah. uh, why the vineyard, there's the vineyard. Well, actually, can I ask, because I don't really know much about grapes beyond, um, you know, what I get at the grocery store, because I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, so... Yes. Not yeah. exactly the right climate. Man was for... not meant to live in Cincinnati, Ohio, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> we have other great qualities, I promise. But so I was wondering about this whole thing about wild grapes. Like, why are wild grapes? Oh, I wish I could take my iPhone right now to my house because growing crazy. In fact, we're going to be ripping them all out as soon as soon as like they've dropped their leaves. We're ripping all the stuff out. The wild grapes go crazy over everything and then there there's little, little clusters but there's not much fruit on them oh okay and they're completely unwieldy completely like not you know at first you uh, we first moved back to california it's like oh wow cool wild grapes oh wow cool and now i'm looking at it going cut them out <laughs> They grow everywhere. They're covering covering the camellia bushes and the and the bay oh, bushes, wow. and they're just like this, like crazy. And they do really no good. Now, I should say my kids do like to go and pick them and eat them, and they think it's really cool. But really, from an adult standpoint, not they're not good. really worth much. You kind of really? pick one little thing and you kind of suck on it. That's what I did this morning. I'm walking by this grape, this these grapes are hanging there, and I picked one. I only picked one because I knew it was not going to be much. And I pick it, and, and the skin was all sour. I got a little bit of something out of it. And I throw out the seed, and it's really not worth going back to. Wow, that's okay. the image. Well, that's I, yeah, that's pretty good image yeah. right there. Yeah. That 
That says a lot. That's about why you come this, to the Institute of Catholic uh, Culture because you know what? I'm sorry. No one else is picking wild grapes in the morning and then opening up their Bibles and reading this passage, right? It's so true. All it's right. so true. Well, am I right to assume that this is what Jesus had in his mind when we get to the gospel here, this passage in Isaiah? Absolutely. Right? Jesus never teaches out of context. And this is why our this is super valuable for us as we're studying together, because also you realize when Jesus says in John 15, or in our passage here in Matthew that we're going to look at, when he talks about the the you know the the vineyard of the Lord, he's got a context he's talking about. And unless you understand that context, you're left with kind of the nice sayings of Jesus that are morally applicable to our lives. And this is the big problem that we have when we disconnect ourselves from the Old Testament, from the biblical language and foundation. The only thing I can do is make a spiritual application forward. And oftentimes I misapply it because I don't really understand its original context. Our goal should always be original context. Yes, the intention of the author in, in writing the way he's writing so that his audience can understand and his audience, look. Matthew wasn't writing to you. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. He wasn't. He was writing to the early Christian community. And this is maybe a nice little bridge that we can do now between the Old Testament text here and the psalm. Okay, the mm -hmm. prophecy in the psalm. Because look at what our responsible psalm is, Annie. Yeah, it's from this, from Isaiah. Yes, the, res the response. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel, which we get in this text, right? Which is why this is a good bridge. A vine from Egypt you transplanted, you drove away the nations and planted it. It put forth its foliage to the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that every passerby plucks its fruit and so forth? Now, this is what I need oh. to do for hmm. you, SGRICC lovers. They say, we've got to bring back together not only our understanding of the Garden of Eden and the Old Testament church, the vineyard of the Lord. But we also need to bring together the vineyard of the Lord in the Old Testament and the vineyard of the Lord in the New, the New Testament church. There is no division. There is no great divide. The church of the Old Testament is the church of the New Testament. Or church means, means gathering. It's the gathering of God's people. It's a word that was used to refer to God's people in the Old Testament. And it's a word that's used to refer to God's people in the New Testament. Yes? There is continuity between the two, not a division. Right? right? There is one church of God. There is one gathering of God that begins in the Garden of Eden, that undergoes difficulties due to sin, that is gathered together in the Exodus and in Jerusalem. The church of God, which finds itself in exile in Babylon. The church of God, which Jesus comes to restore and reign over. The church of God into which people are baptized. The Jews who converted on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost did not see themselves. I shouldn't even use the word converted. They yeah. didn't convert. They remained faithful. They just did something which God was asking them to do, and that was to be baptized into Christ, to be plunged into him, but not, not by way of divorcing themselves from what had taken place. Rather, they found themselves as fulfilling what had taken place, right? Yeah. Super important as we are looking then at the New Testament and our own identity as the church of God, because guess what? The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, which is the church of the Old Testament. Yeah. The vineyard of the Lord and the people of Judah are his cherished plant in which Jesus came to cultivate and to bring us into through baptism. It's the same reality now alive and well today into which you have been baptized. Okay, so when we talk about the vineyard of the Lord in the Old Testament as the as the continuation fulfillment of the Garden of Eden, as the restoration of the Garden of Eden, 
we have to understand ourselves in that context because the because the Lord is speaking to us also. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the church. It is the gathering of the people of Judah, of which our king is Jesus, who is a descendant of Judah. Yes? Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, the genealogy. Yeah? We have to see ourselves together in this, and it's only then understanding what, what our gathering has undergone in the past and how the Lord has dealt with this vineyard to understand ourselves today as that same vineyard with the same challenges and difficulties the same opportunities if we are faithful to the Lord. Because, and, and so Annie is going right back to what you said, and then we go to the gospel. Was Jesus using Isaiah as a background when he was talking? You better believe he was. I'm sure he was using Psalm 80 as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I ask one question about Psalm 80? Okay, go ahead. Sorry, the line, this is just, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm going go. too far yes. afield here, but the... I was thinking about it when in like Song of Songs, the the image of the vineyard is like another image of his bride, yes. I believe. Yes. And so when it talks about when you have broken down its walls so that every passerby plucks its fruit, I'm just thinking about like the idea of idolatry and mixing, allowing anyone to come into the vineyard. I mean, it's almost yeah. like that whole idea of playing the harlot that that we hear I'm, about in judges. I'm really glad you brought this up, Annie, because I was just going to move on. But I, when I was preparing to be with you guys today, I was just kind of rereading chapters one through five. Yeah. And I came across this passage here in chapter uh, one, verse 21. It's Isaiah chapter one, mm-hmm. verse 21. How the faithful city has become a harlot. She that was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your mm-hmm. silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water, your prentice, so forth and so forth, right? But now hold your hand there and turn to the lamentations of Jeremiah, which is right after the prophecy of Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah writes in so like I think he must have been he's meditating upon Isaiah. Because notice how he he begins chapter 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She that was great among the nations. She that was a princess um, among the cities has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night, tears of her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All of her friends have dealt treacherously with, treacherously with her. So here you have Isaiah and Jeremiah coming together. And I don't even remember what you asked there, Annie, regarding the Song of Songs. Uh, well, I was just saying, I think that the vineyard was kind of another image for the bride. That's right. And so I was saying like the marital imagery of God in the church while you were yes. talking about Oh, that. yeah, because St. Paul uses yeah. this imagery, right? Yeah. Um, and the Lord himself uses this imagery. Um, and uh, yeah. This is why your Old Testament imagery, your your language, uh, your biblical language has to be restored. Our people, sadly, are biblically illiterate. They don't know the language of the Bible. And I don't mean Greek and Hebrew. I mean the the, the way <laughs> of speaking so yeah. that Jesus can speak to us mm-hmm. as he spoke to the people of that day, which totally fully understood exactly what he was saying. Yeah. I should say fully accept this one point, And then let's read the text because it'll make you laugh a little bit. That is that the, the, the gospel writers, this happens a lot in John, but it happens here in Matthew where, um, where knowledge of reality in front of you be, means that you are on the right side, but those that don't know and don't understand expose them their own evil by admitting that they don't understand the lord yeah. right and it's kind of understandable like if i don't understand the image i i'm, I'm outside of the family right i'm not, I'm not speaking yeah. the language so no doubt this language was absolutely obvious and yet the gospel writer points out that they struggle to understand his words as a way to expose their sin yeah yeah so let's go ahead and read it and then maybe we can come back to that point we're in 
What are we? Matthew chapter 21, Matthew verse chapter 21, verse 33 is where okay. we're starting. Nice. Verse 33. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. Here we go. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, hear another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it and built a tower. Then he leased it to tenants and went on a journey. When vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to obtain his produce. But the tenants seized the servants, and one they beat, another they killed, and a third they stoned. Again, he sent other servants, more numerous than the first ones, but they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, thinking, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. They seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do to those tenants when he comes? They answered him, he will put those wretched men to a wretched death and lease his vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the proper times. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone by the Lord has this been done and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that will produce its fruit. Okay, Annie. Well, um, um, wow. Yeah. Um, talk about being in your face. So I guess, I mean, always we start off with the context. So let's just kind of yeah. get a grasp here because Jesus says, well, here another parable. So remind us of the parable yeah. that we heard last week. Yeah. So there's, I'm, I'm going to now say that we have two different kinds of parables going on. Okay. I'm loving this Bible because I'm I learn myself as I'm like we go we get to go systematically through this and you start to yeah. see it more slowly. I'm really loving this about our time together. But really, there's a there we've been focused upon these parables in which Jesus speaks in a way up in Galilee, which is very vague, mm -hmm. very vague to the outside. We interpret a couple of ways, and the people on the outside, the Herodians, the Pharisees, the Sadducees that are on the outside, they're not really following Jesus are kind of left to wonder, is he talking about us? And But the disciples are, are on the inside, and they realize that he's using language so that he doesn't sock them in the face and get arrested and killed up in Galilee. Now he comes to Jerusalem. He knows why he's there. And and now he's he starts them, parables. <laughs> and I'm going to say, I'm just going to say, it's a different kind of parable because now he actually lays it out there. He starts telling the story. So that they're like, they can kind of understand what he's saying. But then at the end of the story, he doesn't, he doesn't be like, and you know, this, this is hidden from, it's only real to those that know. And so like that. No, no, he comes out, pulls off the gloves. And as we're going to see, gave him the uppercut last week and then comes in, boom, and just, and takes them out. Because these two parables now, these two mm -hmm. parables in Matthew chapter 21, and we looked at it last week. We don't have time to go back and do as much as we did, but notice in 21 verse 14. Uh, 21 verse 12, Jesus entered the temple of God and drove all those out who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables, right? Mm -hmm. So he's, 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 he's really upset them, right? He's really, he's really made him unhappy. He's called them out. Well, he seems upset himself. Am I wrong? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's mad. Yeah. Righteous anger. And then he turns and in verse 28 and says, in, and now he gives them these two parables, but these two parables becomes he, he at the end of them, he explains what he's saying. So he tells a story and, they're, and he they're, that's when they get to be like dunces, right? They're kind of like, mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm, we agree. Yeah, that's. And then he just boom and says, I'm talking about you and just goes after him. And this is beautiful. Yeah, this is how I usually preach to my parishioners, too, by the way. Yeah. Right there at the end. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And when he says that, he's standing there. Palm Sunday has happened. Everything, it's, they are right at the cross right now. The, they are ready to kill him. And he just, boom, you, you're out. 
right? And so, and so that's kind of what's going on there on the ground. We talk about practical interpretation. That's what's happening on the ground. Wow. It's really, and then we, I don't, we don't get this part, but like, they're still not really able to do anything yet. Cause it says that, you know, the, the crowds, the mult, they were scared of the multitudes that held him to be a prophet. Exactly. So they're just like getting socked and having to take it right now, I guess. That's right. Because there's, there's people all around them and they're like a riot is about to break out because they know that the, that these Pharisees have been in with the Herodians. And of course, Herod killed John the Baptist and John the Baptist was loved by the people as Jesus is. Look, it's the children coming out, right? The yeah. scene is very much a very positive scene. Jesus comes in, the children are coming out, they're waving their branches, they're singing songs. And then the dark faces come out in the whole thing. And the people, the, the tension is very strong between, between who he's going after now and the people who actually love him and have walked with him and been very devoted to him. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at this parable. We didn't, we didn't, I mean, other than the idea of the vineyard, we didn't get into like some of the specific imagery in Isaiah. Yeah. I'm wondering, could we get into some yeah, of that? Sure. The, like, the just... things that I, well, I was going to say the things that um, common to both, you talk about the, the hedge, the wine mm. press and the tower. Right. So, so fathers is... of the church give interpretations of all of this. Okay. Yeah. The vineyard owner, of course, is God, our father, right? Our heavenly father. The wicked vine dressers are the Jewish authorities. Uh, the servants that God sends throughout salvation history are, you know, the patriarchs and then the prophets. Okay. Mm -hmm. And of course, of course, the son of the vineyard owner is Jesus, right? Because the, right. The, his identification as the son of God, I mean, this is going to be the, the claim. This is why they're going to, he claimed to be the son of God, Right. And so, so the the imageries he's using here, borrowing from Isaiah, is one hundred percent clear to them. But remember, remember, remember the most important thing when reading scriptures. It was so easy for us to be like, "Yeah, Jesus pulls off the gloves and socks them." I mean, pulls out a Mike Tyson on him, right? But, but, but that's actually not the best place to begin. And I know it's a tempting place to begin. Yeah. But the best place to begin is what is always to be theocentric, mm -hmm. God's identity. So when we're reading this, this parable, while it might be easy to focus upon the negative, most important thing is that God has established his gathering, his church, his vineyard, his bride, his all his images. It's God who has established this. We're going to call it a church. I know that I just need to, one last time I have to say it, get out of your mind the ne modern negative notions or even the manufactured notions, which are in so many people's minds about the church being something that is a invention of man or whatever the case may be. The word church means gathering. It is a gathering image and likeness of the eternal gathering, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are made in his image and after his likeness, and therefore we form a gathering, the church, in the image and likeness of the eternal church. So the, the idea of this gathering, this church, has nothing to do with artificial, manufactured walls and things like that. It truly is God's original plan for his people that we might be gathered together, and in that gathering, love one another that is, give our lives to one another because God has given his life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. And then having he having poured his life down into us, making, uh, making us in his image after his likeness, we then pour our life out to him. So you see, this, this is why the fulfillment of the law, the whole of the law is summed up in love of God and love of neighbor. Yeah? Our faith is very simple in some ways. You just get that these, these, these fundamental principles in our mind. So, theocentric. God planted the church. The garden. He planted his people. He made us, formed us into his image after his likeness. He he, get, he did everything necessary. He set a hedgerow around it to protect it. So the fathers of the church will oftentimes talk about the moral teachings of the church. 
or if we talk about the Old Testament, the, the teachings of the prophets, the calling back of God's people to faithfulness in him, uh, the law, if you will, right? Uh, he planted the, the, he built the tower to oversee it. It is the Lord who finds, uh, provides everything necessary to care for it. Yeah. So this is our theocentric interpretation. Set aside for a, for a moment, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, the bad, the bad, and ask yourself who God is in his relationship with his church, which is you his people, right? He is the giver of all good things. He puts it all in place for us to bear fruit. So exactly. Then very interesting, right? Is this, is this image of God's people as, as vine dressers, but also as vines, Yeah. right? Certain people in the church, or he actually kind of calls the whole of the church and so he has to pick up that hoe and start digging in the soil, right? So a person can move, moves from, well, from becoming fruit, right? He's like, I am the fruit, if you will, of the faithfulness of my parents, of the love and faithfulness of our ICC family, uh, of my mentor, Father Joseph Francavilla, Father Charles Abudi, of Annie Mitchell in her, in her witness to me. I am that fruit, but the, the fruit then comes full circle and picks up a hoe as it matures it starts hoeing in the vineyard in trimio pruning the vine and making it grow right i remember when i was in high school and we i had a um, grapevine that i had grown up on this uh trellis at my dad's house and i it had been planted it was really small but i wanted to get up to the top of the of the trellis so it could start spreading out i would come home every day from school and i would prune the, the vine so that it only had one branch going. Otherwise, it's going to go all over the place. Grapevines grow very fast, extremely fast. By the end of the season, I had that vine all the way up to the top and starting to spread across the 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 uh, the top of the, the lattice work, right? Um, the trellis. So, um, but it needed to be pruned. And that's the job that we're doing, pruning it, keeping it growing, making it grow right. And it wants to go this way. And it wants to go that way. But we, we know where it needs to go. Yeah. So Jesus is using an image that's very, very um, known to the people. They understand this. These people would have had vines going. You go to Jerusalem today. You go to, I love going to Ein Kerem, the place of John the Baptist, um, the birth of John the Baptist. Because you walk by these little courtyards and the people have these, these vines growing, there's grapes growing there, they're olive trees, they really take care of their stuff. And here it becomes an image now of the church, right? The church as, as vine dressers, as growers, right? And he's turning to the church, Jesus is. He's turning to the gathering. Um, and he's saying, what have you been doing? And you kill, you killed John the Baptist. <laughs> yeah. You know? John the Baptist was, was part of the vine. He was doing his bearing good fruit. And you killed him. You cut him off. And the people were going, man, you're right. These guys are in bed with Herod's guys. And they killed John the Baptist. And they're about to kill Jesus. Right? So he's, this, is how, this is how Jesus is using this in this context. And maybe... I don't know if you have other questions, Annie, but maybe we can then apply that to the church in our situation today. Yeah, well, that was going to be my next question. I mean, what, where, where do we take this as the church today? Yeah, okay. Well, I can, I can, I would just say very easily maybe uh, apply this, or you guys could actually easily apply this um, to yourselves, right? To to our situation at some point. At some point, yeah. When you first come to your community. You, maybe you're standing on the side. Maybe you don't know very many people. Okay, fine. You're you're receiving like a like a baby, huh? Receiving. But at some point, at some point, you must pick up a hoe, right? At some point, you have to become an apostle and go out and having received this gift, start to give this gift, right? And this is, you know, I think that maybe a bit the biggest challenge for us today in the church because it's so easy to stand on the side. Oh yeah. It's so easy to take communion. It's so easy to fulfill an obligation and then walk away. And this is exactly how the, the fathers of the church applied this text to the, to the life of the church, right? Saying not only to our leaders, but to every single member of the community, because you are baptized in the body of Christ. You are the hands, feet, eyes, ears, as St. Paul says. 
all of us are part of that mission of Jesus, but not all of us are living out our vocation, right? Not all of us are, are doing our, um, are, are the hands, feet, eyes, and ears doing their job. Doesn't mean you're not an eye and ear, right? You still are, even if you refuse to do your job. Which is why today the church is struggling in so many places, right? Because we're not, we haven't lifted up the mirror to see what's going on with ourselves. Am I, seriously, if Jesus, I'm gathered on Sunday at Mass. This may be something you meditate upon this Sunday. I'm gathered today at Mass. I'm standing there and, 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 and Jesus is standing there with me, right? He's present. Literally, Jesus is present in our gathering. Right? Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be there among them. If Jesus turned to you and said, Frank, Mary, Joe, what, what are you doing in my vineyard? Are you cultivating my vineyard? Are you making it grow? Have you, the gifts that I've given you, are you using those to till and keep the garden? Or not? Because if you're not, well, Jesus has got a really clear message for you today. Yeah, he's going to, yeah, he's going to take the kingdom away, right? He's going to take it and he's going to give it to others who will do the job he's asked. Yeah. And that's really the question. Would, if he appeared in your church this Sunday, would you be standing with a hoe on your shoulder? Or would you be standing empty handed? What role, what essential role do you play in your community in making the garden fruitful? And maybe I can talk here for a minute about the Institute because it's part of your community. Yes. Or it's really easy for us because we're all here right now. We're all members of the Institute. I don't know what's going on in your parish. Not my business. Not right now. But what is my business right now? What we're doing here. Are you taking what you're receiving in this Bible study and in the rest of what we're doing at the Institute of Catholic Culture in, in your in Father Spitzer's teaching you or, or Annie Mitchell or whoever's going on, are you taking this gift, having received it for yourself, and then put it to work in the vineyard of the Lord? Are you tilling and keeping and making the garden grow? And here we talk about the Institute again, right? Are you supporting this mission? Or you can talk about your parish. I don't care what you want to talk about, really, because it's applicable. Are you making the garden grow? Are you bringing all of yourself to do this thing so that God's kingdom on earth can flourish as it was meant to flourish, like a garden, like a vineyard, and bear fruit for the kingdom of God? Yeah? This is why we are made who we are, made to be who we are. Why God gives us the gifts that we that He gives us, not so they might remain mine, but that I might give them to you, that I can cultivate you in the that's why I exist, not for myself. I exist for you, and you exist for me and for those God has placed in your life. And and, and we you exist for the growth of the Institute of Catholic Culture. You exist for the growth of St. Mary Catholic Church. You exist for the, you exist for all to make it flourish. Are you bringing those gifts to the vineyard of the Lord? And if you're not, let us simply read the words of the Lord in verse 43, chapter 21, verse 43. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing fruits of it. So strange way to say that. Fruits of it. <laughs> Anyways, there you have it. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I'm not trying to give you guys a hard time. I mean, I hope I can be encouraging. What a beautiful gift we have. Yeah. Which is the, the vineyard of the Lord, the church. What an opportunity we have to not be bystanders, to not be inactive members of the garden, but to pick up the hoe and get to work. Start teaching Bible studies, start talking to people in your community, start inviting them into your, a, a deeper relationship with uh, God. This is why I keep saying it. I love the coffee social. I love the coffee cart. 
Get that coffee cart out because you know you can make it. Go down to your, your restaurant supply. If you don't have a coffee maker in your church, buy one of those big coffee makers. You pour the coffee in it. You plug it in. You go to mass, receive communion, say thank you to Jesus, and go out to the hall, grab that thing, cart it out, and everybody comes out of mass. You're standing right there. Enough is enough. We just stop treating our churches like a vending machine and start tilling the garden again. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. Till your garden and make it grow so that when the vineyard owner returns, he will find you with a hoe in your hand, pruners in your hand, and a garden that's flourishing. What a beautiful day that will be. Yeah. Well, as St. Paul says here in our second reading, keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, then the God of peace will be with you. Philippians chapter four. Yep. Verse, verse six, six through nine, right? Philippians yep. chapter four. Verses six through nine. You'll turn your Bibles over there very quickly. Just have a quick reading, Annie, and then we'll bring all this to a conclusion. All right, here we go. Brothers and sisters, have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Then the God of peace will be with you. I encourage you today, my brothers and sisters, to ask yourself what gifts God has given you and whether you are putting them to the work of the Lord in doing what you have learned and what you have received so that the church of God might be a flourishing garden once again. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and into ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.